Welcome to The Velocity Factor, a podcast about leadership, change, and growth. I'm Ben Strout, President and Chief Growth Architect at Velocity Strategy Solutions, an on-demand next-generation management consulting firm dedicated to helping leaders and organizations design, develop, and deploy smarter growth strategies. Each week, my co-host and I explore the questions, challenges, and obstacles every leader faces when you push beyond business as usual and reach for breakthrough results. It's raw, unfiltered, and exactly what you need to find the confidence, clarity, and conviction to step into your preferred future. Subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com. Now let's do this together. All right, Daniel, I know you're not going to believe this. This is going to absolutely blow your mind. I'm sure you've never experienced this before, ever. Uh, But I was leading a team to launch a new line of business. And I was headed into a meeting that I thought was going to be seven people. Uh, And uh, those seven people were going to be the launch team. And it was the perfect team that I had put together. But somehow there was, I guess, a secret inter-office memo that went out to every department. And when I stepped into the room of what I thought was going to be seven people on a whiteboard, there were about 40 people in the room. Uh, Everything from systems analysts to accountants uh, to uh, compliance, internal audit was there. And it felt a little bit like an inquisition. Um, And it was kind of like, I must have the wrong room but I see the seven people who are supposed to be here. And what proceeded to happen in the conversation were were questions around process and definitions and words and, uh, you know, sales credit and everything along those lines, which were all legit questions, by the way. Uh, But there was no way in a planning meeting about a new line of business that we would have the answers to those questions that day. And yet there seemed to be this implicit uh, expectation that the expect, the, 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 what we would apply to a mature line of business should be true for new lines of business too, so that everyone knew what they needed to do, when they needed to do it, and how they needed to do it, uh, so that we could assess the risk and so that we could determine whether or not it was going to be something that we would want to do. Uh, you know, And what really just struck me in that was, first of all, it confirmed why this particular uh, client uh, had a very tough time launching anything new. Um, and, you, you know, it really ingrained for me the realization that never underestimate an organization's willingness to kill anything new if it might threaten their current reality. The other thing is that where in the world did we get this idea that new things should come with an instruction manual, uh, that everyone knows what needs, what to do, when to do it, how we're going to do it, and how we're going to account for it without the need to actually do something first. So, you know, it, it, it just, I, I don't know, maybe that was an unusual thing, but I just think too often we kill things too early in the process because we have we bring expectations that are just unnecessary, you know. I don't know. Has that ever happened to you? Absolutely. I think uh, fundamental is there's a there's a lot of uh, hiding 
um, behind uh, busyness and just grinding. And first off, ask anyone to slow down and look at the hole and look at what's working and what's not working um, creates anxiety um, and fear of being exposed. But, you know, that building out kind of some kind of process, some kind of framework, where we experience success, where we experience in failure, even getting people there is a challenge in and of itself. You know, it strikes me, we don't expect our kids to just know how to walk. We don't expect them to just know how to ride a bike. Uh, there's a process in that. And yet inside organizations, and I'm thinking about just this past year, have, being asked to do so many new things in new ways, uh, whether that's uh, restructure organizations, learn how to work in uh, remote or virtual environments, adopt technology. Uh, there, there is a real lack of muscle around the ability to adapt. And yet, go to, well, back in the days when we actually went to bookstores, go to any, do any search on Amazon and you're going to find a ton of books about adaptation and agility. And man, this is, this is right smack dab in your sweet spot. Um, I, it frustrates me, but you have an uncanny ability to coach people through this. How in the world can we talk so much about adaptability and agility and be so terrible at it? Well, I think it goes back to the, the challenge is people, people want solutions with a connect the dot process and adaptation and agility requires an openness to emergent learning. I mean, here we are at the beginning of 2021, and this is a, a classic time for uh, retrospectives or, you know, postmortems or just reflecting on, hey, what's worked, what's not worked, uh, we looked at 2020 like a massive project, right? An extreme project uh, and evaluated where were the peaks, valleys, plateaus. We have plenty of opportunities to learn with it. And there's going to be plenty of temptation on the part of leaders to tell their people exactly what went wrong and what they need to do differently rather than recognizing I don't see the whole. Um, and that's a, a difficult temptation to resist is I don't see the whole. And where, as leaders, can we learn from our teams and not repeat the same ugly outcomes of 2020? Um, where can we where can we recognize that the solution will emerge? Um, and where can we sort through our experiences into you know what are the new approaches we'd like to take and what are things that we want to stop doing and things that we would you know discontinue doing? Even just stepping back and saying, hey, how can we? Stop doing certain things, start doing new things, and continue doing what works. Um, that can be really challenging. You know, it strikes me that we still have so much of our management practices baked into the uh, assumption that things are going to have long enough to mature. And I wonder if in kind of this new world, uh, post-COVID, new world of agility, whatever, that we've got to stop thinking that we have 30 years to figure something out and to let it evolve and recognize that we may have, you know, we may have a quarter or six months or 12 months. And then there's a change in the marketplace that fundamentally shifts uh, process, delivery mechanism, supply chain value proposition, all of those kinds of things. And, you know, I wonder, do you ever think it'll get chaotic enough to the point where 
Uh, you have to figure out 30 days at a time, 60 days at a time, 90 days at a time, uh, what this looks like and how, in fact, when we drift, we have so many people who are responsible for, you know, knowing what they are supposed to know, if you will. And now we're asking them to operate with limited and sometimes no visibility into those things, particularly on new initiatives. What, what do you think this new world of work is going to do? Because it feels like we're hanging on really tight to this idea that at some point we're going to have an operational manual that we can hand out and that everyone knows what the right thing to do is. But it feels like by the time we were actually were able to do that in this new reality, the marketplace has moved on. Well, gosh, think of how long, think of how long the classic job description process takes and how, how meaningless it is. And I, I think, I think, you know, our job description's dead. Uh, I think this would be a good time to, to kick around a bit the jobs to be done framework. But before then, I think it just a very like low hanging fruit for people moving to 2021 would be maybe evaluating um, the job descriptions in relationship to your quarterly objectives and shortening the evaluation and clarification of job roles. Um, what I definitely think is dead is an exercise where every one to two years we have role clarification. I think that needs to die. It can't die soon enough. Um, typically, <laughs> it's typically meaningless and it um, has no real traction with the actual outcomes we're going after. And so if we shorten that and said, hey, let's let's clarify what are the what are the five um, expressions of your real job with the jobs to be done. And let's let's visualize that. I mean very simply, I mean for everyone we're working with, team of five, everyone has four to five clear uh, concrete jobs to be done expressions of their work that tie to our work together. And let's evaluate that and kind of put it through the, the BS uh, smokescreen, if you will, and go, let's, let's evaluate as a team, you know? And so I, I'm, I think shortening role clarification and real time performance review with the team where we get it out and we create environments where um, people are free to give feedback on our actual work. I think, I think that's a, it's kind of moving in the right direction. I, I couldn't couldn't agree more. So when you were talking about the BS smokescreen, you're not talking about the Ben Straub smokescreen, are you? <laughs> I might, but not this morning. <laughs> not, not today. You know, uh, it is uh, it is somewhat humorous that I ended up in a consulting role and my initials are BS. Uh, but that's another conversation for another day. What? Uh, what I typically say are there, there are three things, you know, and everyone loves to use the word scale. It just doesn't scale, man. Uh, it's like, all right, so here's what we need to do with new things. First of all, can we measure it? Mm-hmm. It's not a system if you can't measure it, period. Um, then the second threshold is, can you repeat it? Like if it happens once and you can measure it, great. It was a prototype. It was a test. It was an example. Uh, it was something that worked in one moment in time. But if you can repeat it now, all of a sudden you're starting to see the similar patterns or divergent patterns. But in, anyway, it, the more you repeat it, the more you're going to kind of settle into a container. Then you decide if you want to scale it. And I say if you want to. And it also with that is, uh, is it necessary to scale? 
it is quite possible that you could launch and develop really profitable uh, lines of business that aren't scalable as we might think about it. You know, a million people might not be on it. Um, you know, it's if 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 a if a hundred thousand prospects showed up to your even a large national law firm tomorrow, they couldn't handle it. Uh, and so scale can kill you. But but those are the three things that I that I typically walk through. Uh, with with clients who are trying to do that. And and part of that is to help them understand that as the business line matures, it will require more complexity. But the complexity doesn't necessarily mean more constraints. It just means that we have a better understanding of what's necessary and needed in order to support it and drive it forward. And, and in that, we have greater clarity around what resources and what level of utilization that we need to allocate and, and, and expect in order to be able to deliver on that. And so for me, those three thresholds are really important. If you can't measure it, it's not a system. If you can't, um, if you can't repeat it, then you'd have no chance of scale. And it may have been just an anomaly, if you will. Um, but once you once you can repeat it, then you can say, all right, this may be something that has more than one, uh, you know, type, uh, you know, more this may there may be something more here than than what we first thought. And then what level do we want to scale it to uh, that's attuned to what we have the capacity to serve and to what's, you know, to what's necessary? Uh, you know, a, uh, um, you know, an industrial engineering firm may not want to take on a million projects at the same time. Um, so they, they might want to very. Uh, specifically work with 20, you know, 10 or 20 or 50 projects at a time in order to do that. And that's a very appropriate, uh, you know, thing to take on. So when, when, when you're looking at and helping leaders kind of work through complexity, right. And, and very often when you're working with them, Daniel, you're having to undo a lot of things that they've already done. That's keeping them from moving forward. And then now that you clean the slate, do that. How do you unwind from that complexity so you can get to a place of flexibility. Yeah, that's a, that's, it's a challenge, you know, as I'm sitting here tracking with you, I think the challenge is oftentimes the very people that you need to weigh in, in building a process have trouble articulating how their processes work Number one, number two, they they try to hold to they try to put too much of the process together at once, um, and identifying and creating processes is a challenge to them, um, and so um, they overcomplicate it. And so there's an there's an a tendency to oversimplify on some. So you have those stakeholders in the room and there's a tendency to overcomplicate. And so building some awareness of, wow, um, I have a tendency to go too granular. Um, I have a tendency to be reductionistic. Um, understanding our biases when it comes to just building processes because you know, building out processes and separating combining activities into you know, workflows that are driving revenue and designing processes and procedures that um, actually allow us to get traction and accelerate. This is essential to a team. Um, taking the time to do this would be another factor. You know, is is this 
is, is it worth our time to step back and work on our work just a bit, <laughs> just a bit. I'm not talking about a day long yeah. retreat. I'm saying just shifting, you know, um, this could be as simple as a 30 minute session, just shifting and looking at our tactics afresh. Um, those would be some of the barriers. So it's simply put time and self-awareness to our biases that we bring. That's good. You know, I, I think sometimes, you know, certainly uh, it's what, who we show up and how, or how we show up as leaders and who those leaders are that, that do that. But I, I also think we've, we institutionalize um, a fear within systems, a fear that we're going to do something wrong, right? This is when you, you know, particularly publicly traded companies or large companies who have very complex governing structures or smaller mid-sized companies that are made up of people who come from large companies uh, that have really uh, complex governing structures. Uh, you know, it, it, it strikes me that, that we make it nearly impossible to do new things because <laughs> the threshold to start something new means that we have to know everything that's going to happen in any moment in time. And the re and how we how we do that is that when somebody is successful, but it trips a wire that we didn't anticipate, we fire them. We get rid of them because all of a sudden we're more concerned about the what we did that we didn't know we were going to do than actually the learning or the success. I mean, I've actually seen people be immensely successful in a new endeavor, immensely millions of dollars. Uh, added to the revenue line. But something happened in the midst of that, way down in the process, that trips some internal control issue that is easily fixable with an acknowledgement of, hey, this happened. Uh, you know, let's not do that again. And here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to fix that. Easily done. But instead, we look at it and we go, oh, that's going to, that's going to threaten everything within the business, which is not. Mm -hmm. But the way that it's positioned is, and so we, we kill it or we fire them or we get rid of it and we go, uh, yeah, we, we appreciate the new revenue, but it's just too risky of revenue. I mean, it's like, this isn't, we're not, we're not stealing money. You know, we're not, uh, you know, taking, you know, we're not doing business with unethical people. It's just simply when you try something new, you're going to, you're going to discover things that you didn't anticipate. You're going to create reactions and interactions that, you know, you might not have accounted for, you know, you're doing something new, but so, so I think in addition to the leader, who the leader is and how they show up in that situation, how do we, how do we deal with in, like the culture of organizations that would rather create fear to inhibit growth, unless the growth looks like what it's done before, then let a little space for things to mature into what they need to. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah, you, you've, you brought up the term fear a number of times, and I think that's really important. I think um, we don't know what to do with the emotion of fear. Um, and fundamental to improving processes and testing and learning new processes and systems is a recognition, wait, where is our system not working. And you mentioned accurately that many people have a difficult time viewing things in terms of systems um, and improving systems. And they're, they're stuck in very um, autonomous or independent thinking. And so there is a need for a healthy, healthy dose of um, 
fear, doubt, and worry. You know, if, if your uh, leadership, if your management does not have a dose of fear, doubt, and worry to the way you're doing work and your processes, something is terribly wrong. And usually when I share that with individuals or teams, they kind of step back and I go, look, are you not afraid of your current systems? Um, and when you kind of just create that, that ability to say, what am I afraid of? Sometimes we'll even say, I'm afraid of, like, I want you to say this visibly. Audibly, I'm afraid of X, Y, Z in relationship to say we were looking at one system, one marketing system or digital system or sales system or just project management system. Just getting them to verbalize that fear is okay. It's what we do with that fear and it's what we do with that anxiety. And there's, you know, bad anxiety and good anxiety. There's functional anxiety that can be constructive and there's destructive and just being comfortable with that healthy dose dose of fear, doubt, and worry. I think that's so important. I know it might um, seem like a, a soft skill, but I think the soft skills are the hard skills. Um, just getting comfortable with that and having conversations around that fear, around those doubts. What are our doubts? And if you don't have a lead team that can, that can talk about doubts and what are you worried about? What's keeping you up at night? Um, it, it pains me that Oftentimes, the only safe place for that to happen is in one-on-one executive coaching. That is not healthy. When people's only places to express their fear, doubt, and worry are um, one-on-one conversations um, that I'm having with them as their coach, I'm, I'm pushing them. These are the conversations you should be having with your team. And so this is a, a compensatory structure right now, our relationship. We continue having these conversations solely one-on-one. I have completely failed you and your team. Yeah, that is, it's so good, especially in a time when you need your people to be creative and bring their best ideas to the table. But if you create a scenario where the threshold is so high, it's, it's impossible to bring any new idea um, then you're going to you're going to either run those people off, or you, or you're going to to turn that part of their brain um, off, and you're not going to get those new ideas. And what always is humorous to me is to walk back and say, at one time, this really large, successful company and this really healthy line of business that we're looking at and comparing everything to was brand new. At one time, it was brand new. At one time, we didn't know X, Y, and Z. And so, why is it? Why why do we think? that it would be any different, um, on, on new things. And so, you know, my encouragement would be, uh, certainly don't create complexity and until it's absolutely necessary and only create the complexity as necessary. Uh, you, you cannot define internal dependencies, uh, resolve standard operating procedures and service line agreements, solve for sales credit before you even launch anything. Uh, it's just crazy to think about that. So, Keep in mind that framework of measure, you know, it's build it so you can measure it, then evaluate, determine if you want to try it again. If you can replicate it multiple times, that means you can repeat it, which means it actually has the potential for something that's not just an anomaly. It's something that could actually be standardized. Um, and, uh, and then ultimately what level, what does scale look like? Does scale look like it's just efficient, um, integration into core operations or a scale, meaning that we could actually, uh, launch an entire new subsidiary around it or what have you. But if you can't measure it and you can't repeat it, 
don't worry about scale and and you because you'll never get there. And if scale is your goal, uh, you have to go through the first two phrase you know phases in order to be able to to get there. So. Uh, you know, as, as we're heading into this time where we're looking for, you know, whether it's hybrid models or, or reconsidering existing uh, ways of doing things or looking for new lines of business um, or looking to even reinvigorate existing lines of business, uh, we may need to look back at what level of freedom are we allowing in our thinking and in our doing to experiment and try and test new things. Otherwise, we're never going to get there. And we're just going to institutionalize more of the same. And then we're going to sit through more meetings where somebody pounds their table and fist on the table and says, why are we getting diminished results? Um, and uh, why aren't we doing something about it when in fact, the system itself is ensuring that no one is doing anything about it? Any final thoughts, Daniel? No, I mean the the yes, um, the big the big uh, word that comes to mind is just being open. Um, how can we create more openness um, and awareness to not knowing? And when you talked about the the energy that comes with a new business, um, seeking to recognize a pattern in the marketplace and identify a problem and seize an opportunity. That's so energizing. Not knowing is energizing. Um, and the, the out of control element uh, is energizing. It's, you know, it's the, the hallmark of romance and it's the hallmark of entrepreneurial initiative. And reclaiming an entrepreneurial mindset requires um, re-acknowledging re, uh, fear, doubt, and worry. <laughs> and no one is going to say that an entrepreneur you can have you can have an entrepreneurial mindset without fear, doubt, and worry. Um, and so, hopefully, that's an encouragement in stepping into the unknown that's before us. I love it. Another great conversation. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Velocity Factor Podcast. When you achieve speed and direction in your leadership and organization. Velocity will carry you farther than you ever imagined and faster than you ever thought possible. Now that strategy delivered at the speed of change. Be sure to subscribe to email updates at thevelocityfactor.com.